My guests today are Jonathan Kohler and Willie Soon. Bard said that Grok is supposedly going to be, and this was Bard's words, more honest <laughs> than the other um, LLMs. And nice. the other LLMs includes Bard. I'm probably not your usual guest here because you usually have a famous uh, physicists and scientists from all over the world. Um, my primary occupation these days is I'm a musician. I'm a clarinetist and a conductor. Um, but my degree is in physics from Harvard. And um, I've also been in the computer business for many years. I started out in the uh, 70s in, in computers and in the 80s when PCs were invented. I got into the computer publishing business um, and was an editor-in-chief and a publisher and president of various computer publishing companies, including the leading publication in the world on Digital Equipment Corp computers, which people today probably don't even know who Digital Equipment Corp is, but it used to be the, this computer. <laughs> right. They were the number two computer company in the world next to IBM and they're gone. But um, anyhow, so I did that and and then but I'm all um, then I started my record company in the early 90s. And all along, I've been doing physics. I've guest lectured at Harvard in the physics department, the applied physics department several times. And uh, I do computers and I write software. And so lots of different things. But climate has always been a, a very uh, strong interest of mine since the late 80s or since the mid 90s when my, my son was born in the late 80s. And then I told him one day, you know, I this stuff doesn't sound right to me. I said to him when he was about 10 years old, you should, you should do a project on this at school. Of course, he ignored me. But, <laughs> but anyhow, along that time, around that time, Dr. Willie Soon was publishing a lot of his famous papers and the famous one with Sally Balyunas and, and the whole thing started happening. And so I really got pulled into it and I've been following him ever since. And then I, I actually got to meet Dr. Soon at a, an event just a, a year or two ago, right? right? A year, <laughs> yeah. 2022. Yeah. So and that Boston was Boston City Hall, a Christian flag uh, raising thing, yeah. Yeah, it was a really great event. Really that great. was a Supreme Court case, one nine to zero. Nine zero, nine zero. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. I got some. Oh, look at that. Nice. <laughs> we got none. <laughs> we won that case. So um, my latest project that I did is I... A, a couple of years ago, just around the start of COVID or just before the start of COVID, I wrote a new software package called uh, Kohler Classical, which is sort of the leading software for recording, editing, mastering, and mixing of classical music, um, which is a very small and unique market, uh, unlike all the other uh, DAW software that, that you see out there. So I titled this Lies, Damn Lies, Climate Science and Artificial Intelligence because it comes from a famous phrase uh, that's been popularized that nobody really knows exactly where it came from, but it's the lies, damn lies and statistics. It was made famous by Mark Twain, of course, but it, he, he attributed it to this guy who was named Lord Beaconsfield, who was a two-time prime minister of England and uh, founder of the Conservative Party, interestingly enough. And when he was 90, he was born in 1890, uh, 1804, sorry. So when he was 91 years old, he said, he wrote to the Times. And by the way, the Times meant the Times of London. They didn't bother to say of London because they figure nothing else existed than London, right? 
So uh, he said, there are three degrees of veracity. And that viz is a short word meaning, you know, uh, and they are lies, D, long hyphen D lies. When I looked at that, I said, what is that? Is that a typo? That's the way they actually print. They wouldn't print the word damned because you're not supposed to say that. So they printed D hyphen D lies and statistics. So he's one of the guys who said this. Um, if you look at, look around, you can probably find some people who said it a little bit before him. But that became a very popular phrase. And um, I call it that because we're going to be talking about all of the lies that have appeared in climate science and are now being magnified to the nth degree by AI. So you first need to know what a lie is because everyone wants to say, oh, it's not a lie. It's not a lie. Well, okay, let's, let's see what, what a lie is. A lie is a, an untrue statement with an intent to deceive or to create a false or misleading impression. That's a lie too. Because remember, throughout this talk, you'll see one of the things that they do is they try to redefine words everywhere. Because if you, you can't win an argument, you change the definition and then you've won automatically. And so that keeps happening over and over and over and over. And even people who are on the right side of these arguments are often giving in to these redefinitions, which is a bad idea. So you'll notice, by the way, that every time I mention climate science, I have it in quotes because I don't consider it a real science. Um, sciences are like physics, chemistry, you know. Climate science is a name that they've slapped on this massive thing where people now claim to be quote unquote climate scientists because they couldn't get a real degree in something else. And they don't have a great knowledge as, as uh, Richard Lindzen said of, of, uh, in one of his recent speeches. But anyhow, so an assertion of something that's known or believed by the speaker to be untrue with an intent to deceive. So we're going to see this all the time. Truth, on the other hand, it, this is the other way they get around it. You redefine what truth means. There's a reason that since 1250 AD, truth has had a specific meaning. It's not just a matter of telling the truth. The, this guy, Bracton, on the laws and customs of England in around 1250 AD said, here's what we got to do. Okay, this is the Latin. I won't read the Latin for you because I'm not very good at it. But the English translation, translation is, likewise, it must be known that in every oath there must be truth, the whole truth, and above all, truth as to the matter proposed. In other words, on the subject we're talking about, don't change the subject, and only the truth. And right there, you'll see, if you understand that, you'll see virtually all the tactics of the people who are not telling us the truth. Um, and we say it in court today, we simplified it to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Um, that leaves out, of course, the truth as to the matter stated. But So here's where it all started, right? As everybody knows, I probably don't have to introduce this graph. This is when the nonsense started in, in 1998-99 with this graph showing massive error bars, but then summarizing it down to a, a slowly decreasing pink line and then this, this red thing, which as we know was a grafted set of two different pieces of data, one unreliable tree ring data grafted on 
to some recent unreliable thermometer data, which by the way, I'm gonna talk about a little bit. The thermometer data as Dr. Soon, or if it's okay if I call you Willie, um, has proven is, is very unreliable even as it is. He's done this extensive analysis with the Connolly showing that it could account that the North American thermometer data could account for 40% of the so-called observed land warming. But so this, this thing came out and it was very quickly noticed by some smart people, especially Stephen McIntyre, um, that it wasn't really a hockey stick. And it was also recognized by this guy named Willie Soon, who, who pretty shortly thereafter published a paper, Soon and Balunas 2003, and they went around and studied and looked at proxies from all over the world and said, um, it's not a composite, but he, they determined looking at this that it establishes that indeed the Little Ice Age and the Middle Medieval Warm Period do exist, like hundreds of studies before that. There were certainly more than 100 studies prior to that that said the same thing. Um, and in fact, that the 20th century warming is probably not the warmest, nor a uniquely extreme climactic period of the last millennium. You know, there are some very simple studies actually that, that people don't talk about much, but one of the lead authors um, of the IPCC published a simple study where he looked at a few of the different ice cores and just did a quick mathematical calculation of the average standard deviation from century to century over the last 10,000 years and while that's not a measurement of global temperature, it is a fair indicator of change in global temperature, which is all he was reporting on. And he showed that the, the one sigma standard deviation on a centennial basis between centuries was around, big surprise, one degree centigrade. That was the average change every hundred years over the last 10,000 years. But um, now, Unfortunately, that hockey stick, as we all know, incorporated lots of um, errors in it. And so McIntyre and McKittrick that same year came along and said there were collation errors, there was truncation, unjustifiable extrapolation, some of the data was obsolete, there were location errors in the geography, there was an incorrect calculation of principal components that was fundamental mathematics. Um, there were quality control defects, and bottom and and most interestingly, that the the actual algorithm that was used um, to calculate it almost would produce hockey sticks pretty much with red noise, because you could feed red noise into it, and most of the time you'd get a hockey stick out, and that was in um, uh, McIntyre and McKittrick's paper in two thousand and four came to be just known as M&M amongst the uh, climate people. Mm -hmm. um, so this then led, um, in, in 2005 and 2006, David Deming published uh, an article in 2005, and he talked about a paper that he had done in 1995, um, where he had measured some temperatures in, in boreholes and, and come up with the notion that, oh, there was about one degree change over the last hundred years, something we hear a lot. And he got it 
uh, published. And so he got into the community and then he was very shocked when somebody called him up and said, we have to get rid of this medieval warm period. But it was even worse than that. He, um, he testified before Congress on December 6, 2006. And here's his testimony. By the way, do you guys know who it is, right? The, the person that uh, was uh, conduct was telling David Deming. You all know who it is? Yes, it was Jonathan Overpeck. Overpeck, now in Michigan, yeah. <laughs> he was correct. A, oh, no, yeah. Correct. He's the dean of Michigan, and he was- Oh, yeah, big time. Those guys are big time. All of them got fully promoted. Member of this, member of that, gold medal, whatever. <laughs> That's right. And he, and he was heavily involved with the IPCC, the other disinformation organization, which I'll- get into but yes exactly and in fact david deming got the email from overpeck but he had forgotten he had deleted it you know and he forgot about it but later um this guy sussman interviewed him and he said did you get it from jonathan overpeck because that's the rumor and he said yeah yeah i got it from a guy named overpeck and of course later they put two and two together and figured that out that it was jonathan overpeck so he was, and he had caught, he had emailed him and said, we got to get rid of this medieval warm period. So, um, and uh, it was right in here. This is his actual testimony. In fact, if you want, you can go watch a video of this, but he said right here, he says, we have to get rid of this medieval warm period. And the interesting thing that too, is he had also gotten a call from a guy um, uh, on Nash, a reporter for National Public Radio who wanted to interview him, but the guy said he only wanted to interview him if and only if he would say that the warming was due to human activity. And when he said no, the guy hung up on him. Yeah, so, remember, these are all in the 90s, mid-90s. Yes, he published a very famous paper on Volvo, this David Deming from Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, University of Oklahoma, that's right. Right in the mid heart, heartland of the country. If you want, you can see the video of him actually testifying, but I'll, I'll skip that for now. You guys have seen that probably. So that's this is where it all starts, right? In the mid 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, and that, and that hockey stick graph. And then of course, Mark Stein wrote a brilliant book about this called A Disgrace to the Profession. Um, um, and that was reviewed by one of Willie's uh, um, uh, collaborators, often David Lee Gates, who wrote a, a, an excellent review of the book. And the book is basically just quotes um, about, as he says here, a must read for anyone concerned about the veracity of science and how the climate change movement has corrupted it. Because cli the climate change movement is a movement. It has nothing to do with science in reality. Um, to serve its own interests. And so that's a very great, a great book. And it's a great review. If you click on any of these links in the presentation, it takes you right over to the review where he's quoting David Deming, and you can see his entire review there. Um, so definite must read. Okay, so now we get into because this whole lying methodology. I mean, lies have been around forever, of course, but we didn't see this in science and computers and the I was in the press. I would have fired when I was an editor in chief, I would have immediately fired any reporter I found inserting their opinions into articles. You know, in, in, in journalism, we, we teach writers 
sometimes you need to have an angle on a story, a quote unquote angle, meaning, you know, you need to have something at the top of the article that's going to tie the article together, but you don't fabricate the angle. <laughs> you get the, you get the angle from the information. And if I ever had a writer fabricating an angle and then I, I said, but that doesn't agree with any of the information that you have, I would fire them. That's, but nowadays that is what journalists do. They do, they call it, they make up a word instead of calling it lying, which is what it is. They call it advocacy journalism. Okay. Advocacy journalism means making up a lie, talking about the lie and leaving all out all the information that contradicts the lie, all the things you don't do in journalism. So there are many methods of lying. Okay. So you got the key one is partial truths mixed with fal total falsehoods. You always throw in a little truth. And, and the reason I'm going through this is because the AI systems have been trained to do this. And you and not only trained, they've been trained and programmed to override their neural networks to do this, because you can't do this through a normal neural network. As if you've watched any of the lectures by, um, what's his name? Mo, Mo, Mo Godet, I forget his last name. He's the, he was the head of Google X, which was the division of Google that did AI. He left Google a short while ago, and he emphasizes how fast these things are learning now and how much it's accelerated. So if you give them true inf real information, they learn and learn and learn. Um, okay, now the, the other thing you see constantly is faulty logic. So you'll say to someone, You'll say this, this is a favorite lie that, that Google Bard does all the time. You'll say to it, you can't provide me with a single study documenting that fact. And it'll respond, well, there is, while there is no single study that proves this fact conclusively, well, that's not an answer to the question that I just asked. That is fake logic. And it's faulty logic, but it's purposeful because it, when you say, but that's faulty logic, it then admits it and it knows it was doing it and it was doing it on purpose because it has been programmed to do that. Bad mathematics, of course, as we saw in the, in the Michael Mann paper that was torn to pieces by, by Steve McIntyre, um, fudged data. We see that we've seen that, you know, in many cases in, in the climate business, basic total lies. Dissembling is a good one where you just start to change the subject a little bit and say, talk about something else instead of answering the question, non sequiturs along that line, straw man arguments, then where people contradict something that you didn't say and, and therefore you're wrong. Okay. And the favorite one that was promulgated by, you know, uh, Hitler's Goebbels, Joseph Goebbels was repeating a lie over and over again so that it becomes the truth. So that's why we hear over and over again every day, climate change causing extreme weather, a total and complete lie. There's never been any evidence for it. All the evidence is actually, almost all the evidence is virtually the opposite. I'll show a little bit of that later, but that's a favorite one. You hear it constantly. Why? Because they concocted it um, through something I'll show you later. Obama enshrined it. His, his quote-unquote science advisor, Holdren, published it on the White House website 
and then everyone was authorized to repeat the lie forever now. So every single day now you hear that lie over and over and over again. And what's what's really bad is, you know, with lies, the only way they continue to exist is through um, what, it, what uh, have been called useful idiots, meaning that many of the people who promulgate the lies may not know that they're lies, but but they feel empowered to keep saying them somehow, right? Um, but certainly the people who created the lies knew they were lies. And certainly any scientist who's had, you know, a basic physics course knows that they're lies. And so when you hear people promulgating this stuff um, and saying this nonsense that, that we have now proven, I heard a speech by Michael Mann the other day on YouTube <laughs> saying, saying that we've proven that you can attribute the fact that single, single weather events were made more severe and more likely by climate change. And we've proven that using computer models. That statement in and of itself is obviously false, can't possibly be true. And here's why. Um, I'll get into this a little later. It was the same kind of argument. I'll, I'll tie it back to something in music. Many years back, clarinetists, most clarinetists uh, uh, don't like this thing called vibrato, where we vibrate the sound when we play. Mm -hmm. And so lots of them were talking on these boards and saying, well, here's the, here are the scientific reasons why vibrato is not good on the clarinet. And they, they literally were talking reams and reams of posts and hours of stuff. And I came and I said, you, you understand that this is false, first of all, and it's totally absurd because you don't even have to talk about it because what sounds good is a matter of a subjective decision made inside a person's head. Mm -hmm. You can never prove a subjective phenomenon with an objective argument. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter what the thing is. Because yes. subjective things are not objective, okay? And so you cannot prove that a weather event was made worse by using a model, which is simply a representation of a person's beliefs, which I'll get into a minute. That's one of the words that we've allowed to be co-opted by people. And even a lot of our friends use this word with great rever reverence, and, and I'd prefer to call it um, sloppy programs written by grad students. That would be a better name than model because by calling it model, you're implying that it's something really cool. You know, you build a model of an airplane at home, a model of a train. That's something that's really a fine piece of artwork. The, the climate models that we talk about, which I actually worked on software that was a, one of the major precursors of the climate models. They were called finite element models, and they're used um, to solve uh, uh, partial differential equations. So they were used going back into the 70s and 80s, to, and they're used to this day to model you know, how airplanes will vibrate and whether their wings are gonna fall off when they fly, and you break it up into finite elements. Um, so anyhow, so repeating a lie over and over again, so it becomes the truth. I'll get back into that. Fabrications, complete fabrications. This goes on constantly now. Oh, wildfires are getting worse. No, they're not. Not only are they not getting worse, they're getting 
dramatically better. I mean, wildly better, if you want to use a term, okay? And the circular arguments, that's another favorite. Well, it's true because it's true. Well, if we assume that climate change is happening, then guess what? Climate change is happening. If we assume that climate change is caused by human beings 100%, it must be. I remember having this argument with, with some of the gatekeepers at Wikipedia sev several years ago, where the IPCC said that at that, at that point in time, that more than 50% uh, of the warming was attributable to human, human, uh, you know, CO2. But they had on Wikipedia that it was 100%. And I said, no, that's not what it says. <laughs> and then they were quoting a sentence from the, the summary for policymakers, which might be called the lies concocted to drive policymaking. Um, but, and that sentence was poorly worded in bad English using incorrect things, which they were misinterpreting. And I said, but that's garbage. I said, go back into the actual text, which also has a lot of garbage in, but at least the text of the WG1 was initially written by some scientists, even if they are horribly biased. Um, and they didn't say that. They just said majority. Majority means greater than 50%, you know? Uh -huh. So... Um, anyhow, so circular arguments, as as Dr. Soon has shown, he's proven this theory that circular reasoning works because circular well, reasoning. Well, then that meme is very powerful, actually. <laughs> well, that really makes sense if you look at it. It's beautiful. I saw that. I love it. It's really every essay, right? You know what I mean? Pinpoint it is. Then you can invoke so many things. Yeah, go down, all kinds of things. Go down, all kinds of yeah, the staircases that go up and never end, right? Yeah, exactly. Circular reasoning because circular reasoning, right? Okay, here we go. All right. So this is um, this is where I mentioned uh, um, non-scientific arguments masquerading as science. You, the next thing you get to are appeals to authority, right? So you say, well, this must be true because everybody says it's true and so-and-so. So. I remember one time I was having an argument with a guy who was actually on one of these clarinet websites, but it was a scientific argument about um, what's called the Nyquist theorem. Uh -huh. um, so, and I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's a theorem in digital signal processing. And what it says is nowadays all audio is digital. And when you sample a signal... If you, the, the strict wording of the theorem is that if the signal doesn't create, doesn't contain any components above a cer certain frequency and you sample it at, le at at least twice that frequency, you can reproduce the entire signal perfectly, not an approximation. Because yeah. we think of uh, digital sampling, you know, you have a point here, a point here, a point here, a point here and you connect each of the points by little straight lines, right? Which, if you do enough points, it looks like a smooth curve, right? But it isn't actually a smooth curve because you just have little straight lines between them, right? But the, what the Nyquist theorem proves is you can actually recreate the exact smooth curve perfectly if you sample it at, at at least twice the rate of the highest frequency in the sound. This is why, for example, CDs are uh, uh, 
our record um, the CD audio standard is 44.1 kilohertz. Why? Because human hearing goes up to 20 kilohertz. And if you double that, you need 40 kilohertz. And they added a little bit extra because of numerical considerations in the algorithms of A to D and D to A conversion. So they added a 4.1K extra sideband so that you can reproduce sounds that human beings can hear perfectly, okay, using 44.1. So, um, so I was having this argument with the, with the guy, and he was saying, well, he knew 50 people who said it wasn't true. I said, and they had this credential and that credential. I said, this theorem was proved, I don't know, 150, 200 years ago, right? Sometime in the mid 1800s, I think, by, by a guy named Nyquist. That's why it's called the Nyquist theorem. And I said, you can, tell, you can tell me you know a million people who know it's not true. They're all wrong. And it doesn't matter how many of them there are. The number of people who agree on, this is one of the principles that I teach my students is I call it Kohler's first axiom. I, I say, to simplify, most people are wrong about most things most of the time. And my first corollary of that is, the larger the number of people who agree on something, the more likely is that it's wrong. Now, of course, this is a big generalization and it's, it's just sort of true in a, in a funny kind of way. But when you're talking about things that people agree on, not because they know something about it, but because they've heard that other people agree on it, then that's absolutely true because you have large number of people who agree on climate science and climate change, and they know nothing about it. You ask them, well, could you tell me what science you're referring to? No idea. Appeals no, no, this is why my good friend Christopher Essex always asked all the reporter who wanted an interview or demand an interview from him. He, said, he just said, before I take the interview, you please tell me what is the Navier-Stokes equation. <laughs> he didn't stop them right there. <laughs> right there, exactly. That, that's the way to do this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, and, and you always know these people who don't know what they're talking about because they start using words like right. debunked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, debunked by who, what, when, oh, where, and how. You know, right? Good point, Uncle. I was watching a video by this this guy on YouTube the other day, and named Rosh or Josh, who 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 was claiming to debunk um, uh, William Happer. You know, one of the great brilliant physicists of our day, right? And he was claiming to debunk him on his explanation of of um, the fact that. The obvious fact that that um, CO two absorbs infrared in certain uh, spec in certain at certain lines of frequency, and that's why uh, um, the forcing due to CO two is logarithmic. Okay, and e even the IPC admits to this stuff, but he was debunking his explanation of that. I'm saying, to the, I wrote to the guy. I said, "Have you taken a physics class?" But he's one of these popular YouTube guys. Before you debunk someone like William Happ, and he had no physics in his debunking. He just drew some pictures and made some snarky statements, you know, and said it's been debunked now. Um, but that's what they do. Peer review, interesting. This, we just shared a bunch of emails on this. This didn't even exist in the old days. You go back, uh, I don't know, even less than 100 years, probably what about, it probably started, what is it, about 70 something years ago, 80 yeah. years ago? Right. 
So it didn't even exist. And unfortunately, the idea behind it, of course, was, well, let's have other people who know the subject check the work. But in fact, that's not what happens today. Nobody has time to check the work. They don't look at the data. They don't look at the methods. That's why people like Stephen McIntyre come along and he looks at the data, or people like Dr. Willie soon comes along and he looks at the data, you know, and looks at the method and then says, wait a minute, this doesn't add up. This data was wrong, et cetera. So, so peer review doesn't do what it's supposed to anymore. And I'll, I'll show an interesting article about that. Consensus, of course, is complete nonsense. I, I love this one. IPCC has invented a new one. Declarations of unequivocality. As I think it was Ivan Gaver said, he, he used to belong to the, what was it? The APS, the American Physical Society. And at one point, they, I, I love the way he said it. He said something like, at one point, they declared something in, something in physics unequivocal. And he said, okay, so I resigned from the APS. He said, he said, the mass of the proton is not unequivocal. How can, how can something as complicated as anything having to do with climate be unequivocal? So, but that's what they do now. There are 37 declarations of unequivocality in the latest political, governmental, non-science thing called the IPCC assessments, which I'll show you in a minute. Smear campaigns, Willie knows all about this, okay? All kinds of nonsense, which ad hominem attacks and complete nonsense that has nothing to do with science. Publications of the ICC are all, are all littered with uh, fake stuff. The, the interesting thing about the IPCC is that as a compendium of references to actual science, it's, it's somewhat useful because you can go in there and find bibliographical references to lots and lots of studies. But you got to be careful because you, you then need to go and find all the things they left out because the stuff they've left out is very strategically left out. Yeah, that's the, that's the problem. This is why I no longer want to make the statement like Lindzen and some normal people would say, oh yeah, they're still useful summary. No, they're not even useful. They're dangerous, actually. Totally. I, I would categorically say that, yeah, I will avoid IPCC. Because it's going to be so misleading. I point to an example, right? I mean, on the solar stuff, they cited six times less literature than even me. I mean, that was even not comprehensive. You know when you get in. So I do not declare that I know everything. All I know is that IPC definitely is not doing a job. That's it. That's right. And they <laughs> That's only bad things have come. <laughs> when it comes to total solar irradiance, yeah, exactly. They only mention this one reconstruction. And as right. you point out beautifully in your recent article. You, you had 27, I think it was, different reconstructions right. of TSI. And there's and you then looked at what are the most likely ones, and the most likely ones could account for virtually all of the observed warming, that right. plus the bias in the ground state. Oh, that's just so, so obvious. I mean, again, we didn't use that to make a conclusion that we found this and that. All we do is pointing out the trivial stuff. How can a problem that is so complex and hasn't been resolved, and you guys just want to sweep it under a rock, Make a full declaration just for political reason. It's so obvious, but but people need to see this, though. People really need to see this so that they will really realize that you know how in, how well incredible and non-credible IPCC is. <laughs> well, this is one of the major areas that they programmed the AI to lie in, oh, yeah. and they were lying so so profusely and so 
obviously, and I started banging on it about uh, Bard about five months ago, let's say, yes. six, five, six months ago. And they've made some changes to make the lies a little bit more subtle because they obviously have seen what I've been doing. In fact, they've deleted some of my conversations because they didn't like what what it was coming up with. Um, but I'll, I'll show you that in a minute. But yeah, the publications of the IPC are governmental political documents. And this is another favorite. And this is why I put um, uh, the, uh, well, I'm sorry, I forgot his name now. What was the name of this physicist, Willie? Oh, so Arthur Eddington. Eddington, okay. So he's the, the general yeah. Right, so he's the guy. So model output is never, let me start with, um, model output is never evidence of anything because it's it's just an output from a computer program written by grad students. And nowadays, as we know, the IQs of grad students have dropped dramatically from, from 30 and 40 and 50 years ago. And so it's sloppy stuff. And even if it were perfect stuff, it would still not be evidence. Why? Evidence is empirical. It's the kind of stuff that, that, that Willie soon looks at, that the Connollys look at. It's actual data. You look at data. You don't write a program. Think about it just from a metaphysical standpoint. You write a piece of code. You're telling a computer exactly what to do, line by line. You give it instructions. So all that is is a reflection of what you believe it should do. It's your beliefs. So that's all a model is. Now, models can be used in can be used in science as a great help. They help us conceptualize. They sometimes they can give you ideas, right? They can they can show you how something moves that you couldn't think of without, you know, doing it. But they don't prove anything. They're not evidence because evidence has to be empirical. And yet 95% of, of IPC uses models as evidence when it's never evidence. They don't use it to conceptualize, they use it to prove. So it's a complete fake nonsense. Um, and, and, and even worse, they, in order to make it seem like it means something, they do these things called model means. They say, we're gonna average these things together. Well, in science, we know about that, but because we know, oh, if you wanna, measure something accurately, you measure it many times and you average it together, right? Well, the reason that works is because of a thing called the central limit theorem, okay? And the central limit theorem says that if you have a bunch of independent measurements, okay, they have to be IID, they have to be independent measurements, um, then if you add them together, your um, the sum, the mean of the sum will approach the, the actual measurement. They, they also have to be not only independent, but you have to be measuring something that has the same expected value each time, mm -hmm. right? So, and then it will, it'll, it'll come to a normal distribution and its average will, as, as you grow to, to infinity, the number of measurements, it will approach the expected value, okay? You can, these models, first of all, are not independent. 50% of the code in these models is shared amongst all the models, okay? 50% of the code, okay? They're not even vaguely distantly orders of magnitude close to being independent. Forget about the code for a minute. They all share these things we call principles of physics, right? Now, 
they don't they don't know what all the problems are because they can't possibly know but they do contain in them various basic principles of physics the same principles in each one so these are not independent measurements the codes are full of bugs it's shared stuff and we know for certain with 100% certainty that the models don't work and i'll show you one of the more egregious examples so you, you know you have a pieces of code that don't work at all they've never matched anything and this lies about hind casting it's complete nonsense you can fit it's basic mathematics you can fit any curve in the world if you give me 10 5 10 parameters these 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 uh, models contain over 200 individually tweakable non-physics related parameters i don't think most people understand that so these are badly written pieces of code written by grad students with low IQs that produce meaningless garbage, and yet they're cited every day. The models, the models, the models. You know, it's complete nonsense. Now, the reason I I put up Eddington here is a good model is one that gives you unbelievably precise answers. For example, Einstein's theory of general relativity. That's a very good model. Equations are models, remember, right? Mm -hmm. And and a computer program is just trying to do what equations do, right? So Eddington came along and uh, and said, "Well, look, if his theory is true and even though light doesn't have any mass, space-time is curved and light should curve and and if you go into Einstein's theory, you can actually calculate the amount that it should curve. And it's a really tiny amount. In fact, the measurements of the amount are so small that with a 32-bit computer, uh, you couldn't tell, you couldn't measure it. Because a 32-bit computer is only about eight significant digits. And the amount of curvature that we see of this light when you look at this um, uh, he was looking at an eclipse of the sun and then looking at the light coming from distant stars around the sun and so forth. And I think it was 1.75 arc seconds was the amount, which mm -hmm. comes out to, if you do the math and how it's calculated, it comes out to like 0.00000175, which on a 32-bit computer is equal to zero in floating point. Right. Okay. Most people don't understand floating point, fixed point, but, but so he was able, he obviously didn't have computers back in 19, what it was, 1919 when he did this. So he must've done the calculation in some manual fashion. Um, mm -hmm. And I think he used a photographic technique. Um, yeah. But, uh, but the, the fact that he was able to calculate it and then realize it matched exactly with Einstein's theory to 10 digits, to 12 digits, whatever number of digits it was. Unbelievable. That's, that's a good model. And by the way, that model we know is not correct, but it's good out to probably 14 digits or maybe 18 digits. It's good as good as double precision 64-bit computers can do nowadays. Um, okay, so then we get to consensus, this nonsense, which even Aristotle in 350 BC, 20... How many years ago? 2,400 years ago? Twenty. So he knew that this was a logical fallacy. And the 11th century philosopher, Haitham, 
who was sort of the I think he's attributed as being one of the creators of the modern scientific modern process. Scientist. Right. Yeah. Mountain's favorite. He always quote this guy. Oh, he quotes Haitham? Oh, that's oh, we oh, that's all odd. the time, actually. I've written several articles with Christopher. He always invoked El Hatham. I'm just telling you. That's great. I but didn't know beautiful. that. Beautiful. I mean, they just think about it, right? You know, people already thought about this thing with such clarity. And then we have all this mess that is created by this postmodern nonsense. I mean, these people are spinning on everybody's grave, actually. Embarrassing, actually. Like, Michael, man, I'm not afraid of people like this. Go to hell, man, you know? Stop it. Stop exactly. it. Actually, Jonathan, your talk, it's very nice now. I tell you, you spin it up, but you're good. This is really a gem, actually, what you're saying so far. It's beautiful. It's, it's a collection of thought that has explained the history of science to the precision in which no one can match so far. It's good. <laughs> very good. All right, so we'll move ahead. So yeah, so we've known for thousands of years that consensus has nothing to do with science. Um, and because science is not, is the whole idea of science is that it's not a belief system, right? Okay, so the 97% came from this thing by a guy named Cook, where he said, among abstracts expressing a position on AGW, 97% endorsed the consensus position humans are causing global warming. Now, Lee Gates et al., and part of that et al. was Willie Soon, showed that the real number was actually 0.3%. And just to show you how bad this, this letter masquerading as science by Cook was, there were 11,944 abstracts, 66% of them expressed no opinion, and they excluded them. That's already anti-science. They said, well, we got to look at these. And by the way, any study that attempts to discern, again, meta-thinking, meta any study that attempts to discern people's opinions by looking at words in a scientific study they wrote is meaningless. You can't guess. You have to ask them. If you want to know... An opinion is, is a subjective thing that happens inside a person's head. <laughs> I might say X, Y, Z and not actually mean it or believe it, right? I may say nothing. I may say a word that you think may some, uh, means something and it doesn't. How many times has your wife done, you know, said that to you, right? You say something, you didn't mean anything by it, and now you're in the doghouse, right? So, so, 70, so 66%, no opinion. That left 33% uh, that they actually analyzed. 2,900 of those, 24%, implicitly endorsed what they called the unquantified hypothesis, meaning it didn't say how much, how much uh, warming was caused by humans, which is already means it's complete garbage because, you know, the, there, there is a huge number of people who would agree with the statement that human beings are most likely causing some amount, notice that word, some amount of warming. Some amount could be teeny, 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 and it's still some, right? So, okay, so implicit endorsement of the unquantified thing. And implicit, they determined, again, by doing mind reading based on words in a scientific abstract, complete nonsense. So it's total nonsense. There were 922 explicit unquantified, meaning they, they explicitly said we think humans are causing some warming. This is another favorite of the anti-science crowd. 
anytime you see words like some, a lot, many, huge, uh, you know, uncontrovertible, unequivocal, you know, it's a lie because those are meaningless words. It, as as um, Lord Kelvin said, science is numbers. If they don't have numbers, they're lying or they're ignorant. Then there were 64 pa papers. This I found very interesting. There were 64 papers that explicitly endorsed the quantified, meaning human beings are most of it, except when Lee Gates and Soon actually looked at Cook's data, they discovered even that was wrong. There weren't well, 60. Not to read 64 paper. They, they think nobody would do it, but we did it. <laughs> That's right. So Lee Gates and Soon actually looked at the data and discovered really it was only 41, not 64. So it wasn't the 0.5%. It was zero that everybody quotes now. It's 0 0.3. So there were only 41 papers. Now, 41 out of 11,944 is 0 0.3. Okay. And I had this argument for a long time with, with Google Bard. I said, because it would every time I would say, well, the real number is 0 0.3, it said, well, there's a lot of scientists who disagree with the the da-da-da-da-da, the methodology, the ba ba da ba da and, and then we'll see in a minute. But I said, there's no disagreement that 41 divided by 11,944 equals 0.3%. That is a numerical fact. Not a single person has ever disagreed with that. You're lying, but it lies. 54 implicit rejection, 40 explicit uncertain, yada, yada, yada. And that's your the whole lie. So the actual consensus was 0.3, or if you allow them to exclude the 66%, you get up to 1.02, but it's a total lie. So what happened? The lie comes out and it's, it's useless in any case because it wasn't a survey, it was mind reading. They should say the Cook mind reading letter. That's what it was, okay? And so what happened? Obama gets on the bully pulpit and says, May 16th, 2013, 97% of scientists agree climate change is real, man-made, and dangerous. Even Cook's study didn't say any of that. But now it became, and this was the beginning of the nonsense, okay, in full force. Now, the reason he said it at this point is this was right before a major climate conference, I forget which one, but no, he, yeah, ER5. This is in Paris. So this was Paris, okay. And he's Paris, he, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe 2013, yeah. No, it's the ER5 results. Uh, that's yeah. when they were being announced, I see. And they wanted to publicize this in you know, along with that event I to mean, make the it. Sitting president of the United States is really crazy. This one. It's just so obvious, and then they don't check. No, it's a very simple thing, by the way. We didn't debunk anything. All we say is that, for example, if the cook at all have any argument, they can easily point out to people that how we misjudge anything. Tell us. Right. But you see, and then now they play the game. Now they hide. But the problem is, as you can see, internet. That's why I think your AI study thing is because information, you see, they, they cap and then they can select. <laughs> Ignore. I mean, the, the Google clearly have known about this like, yes, at all because they know that. It's been published, and then they wouldn't come and uh, yield that result, but it, it tuned to individual. This is scary, I tell you. This world that we live in now is just wrong. It's Crazy totally stuff wrong. that they're pulling. But, but you know, with endorsement by Barack Obama, it's actually the... I mean, Cook paper, I have to say, would be the most uh, read or downloaded in the history of humankind, probably. Yep. Because it's millions. Right. 
I mean, our paper reached 55,000, for example, uh, and that's already considered so exceptional. Right. It is a million because of this. Because, because you put a link there. You see that link there? That helps from the President of the United States. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and Holdren, his science advisor, trumpeted this up and down. But Obama lied. And by the way, he's still lying to this day with almost the same statement. He's, Correct. He's modified yeah, well, last week, I think one appeared on uh, Tom Nelson talk is to debunk that 99%. <laughs> it was from a, that journalist, the Mark Linus. Uh, well, have affiliation with Cornell, all the usual nonsense, you know. Give yeah. us a break, you know. Stop it. And they won't stop. And they keep doing this. The no, more life we expose, the more they want to tell lies. I mean, it seems to be it seems to be something very, very true. That is, uh, you know, the more lies you expose them, they, they're gonna keep telling more lies. Well, that's that's the nature of pathological lying, which is what this is. This is why Lindsay say we have to ignore the lie. But I unfortunately I disagree. I say no matter how much I respect Lindsay, I think we have to fight the lies and by exposing the truth, by you telling have to fight. That's the way to go. And Tom Nelson, you guys are doing the, the best job in the world to do this. That's the way to go. Anyway, they rely on you not fighting the lies. Yes, exactly. Right. So you got that's been debunked. Science, science has settled the derogatory denier thing from from you know being a Holocaust denier, random ad hominem attacks, reference to funding sources. Who cares? And and I always find it it's it's especially uh, hypocritical. Um, when you have people talking about funding sources coming from individuals who are funded by sources that account for 99% of all the funding in climate science <laughs> and saying, saying you're funded by this big, bad thing, whatever it is, you know, it's complete and utter nonsense it's, and has nothing to do with science. So it's smear campaigns, appeals to authority. This is a big one. They, they, they decided, and this was part of the um, climate gate, that they would say, look, if you if you don't call yourself a climate scientist and you haven't published in one of these particular journals that we've anointed, you're not a climate scientist and you can't talk about it. You know, I remember Richard Linson saying he he the climate scientists didn't exist in the nineties. Yes. You know, it's a new invention. And it, it's not something that anybody's proud of anymore. Nobody wants to be called. It doesn't mean anything. There is no such thing as climate science. There's physics, there's math, there's chemistry, there's biology. There's no such thing as climate. Climate science is a big amalgamation of a zillion different things. If you're a physicist, you are a climate scientist because the climate depends on physics, you know? So complete nonsense. There's no degrees in it. None of the people who claim themselves to be climate scientists have degrees in climate science. Uh, and in geography, there's something formally climate. I mean, David Leggett is the only person that I know that has a PhD in climatology. The right, only climatology. They don't call yeah. it climate science. Climatology. That's right. It's in right. geography. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, there may, you know, there may be a climate science degree somewhere. You know. I'm, but certainly, when I looked around, you certainly don't find it very right. easily, right? Because it's not a serious thing. And um, okay, so now we get to the ultimate irony of this term consensus climate science. It's defined by the IPCC, which is not a science organization, it's government organization. And yet that's consensus climate science. Again, this is, this is the redefinition of words. People don't know what the IPCC is. And, and when I used to ask Google, it would tell me it was the leading scientific organization in the world with peer review and this and that and the other thing. And everything it said was a lie. And 
I've hammered it over and over again for weeks. And now they have reprogrammed it. So it says something slightly different, but it still lies. What people don't know, it was founded by the WNO and the UNEP. Its members are countries, not scientists. Countries are the members of the IPCC. There's 195 member countries. There's not a single scientist who is a quote unquote member of the IPCC, okay? It does no scientific research at all, zip, zero, nothing. No original scientific research is done. So it's not a science organization, okay? No more than, than you know, that's like saying um, that PC Magazine is a computer company. Right. I used to be director of development of all the publications at Ziff Davis, and I was editor-in-chief of the digital one, but then I became director of development of all of them. PC Magazine was one of our magazines. That's a magazine. It's not a computer company. Okay. <laughs> so IPCC is not a scientific organization. Um, and furthermore, the scientists who do work for the IPCC is a tiny, 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 tiny number. You, I would see these things coming out of Bard saying thousands of scientists from all over the world have done da, 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 da. complete lies. Not only complete lies, lies by two order of magnitudes or more. For example, the physical science space is WG1, which is the only thing that has any smattering of real science in it, is... Uh, uh, written by 167 scientists total, 167, not not 500, not 1,000, not thousands, not the consensus, 167 people, individual people, by the way, most of whom are young. Most of those scientists are, I call young, anything under 50 years old is young, okay? <laughs> now that I'm 64, I can say that, right? So, and by the way, virtually all of them work for and are funded by governments, okay? And now that leaves you, uh, there's 13 chapters in WG1, so that's 13 authors per chapter, just 13, not 100, not 50, 13. And you wanna know how many, do you know, by the way, Willie, do you, do you know how many lead authors there are on the, the human influence chapter? Actually, I never count them, so please illuminate. Eleven. <laughs> so there's eleven thousands and thousands of those scientists. Right? They always use the phrase thousands and thousands. Eleven, not even one dozen. Okay. All Man, I couldn't make Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't okay. make it. Man, I'm sorry. You failed, buddy. <laughs> so now all of these assessments, otherwise known as an assessment is a is one of these fake words used to cover up the fact that it's an opinion. Okay, assessment sounds cooler than opinion. Remember, redefine the words, use fake words, use words to mean the opposite of what they mean. So these assessments, otherwise known as opinions, are made by eleven people, not even one dozen. So, and then they do. Um, and by the way, every single word of every single chapter receives final approval by who? Scientists? No, 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 no. By governmental representatives of the employer governments. Okay. So this is a report um, approved by governments, staffed by governments, with hand-picked scientists who work for the governments in tiny, tiny numbers, formulating their opinions on stuff that they've chosen to look at. Okay. By the way, can I throw in one small little quick one? 
Yeah. I was uh, invited by the government of Indonesia to go give talk back then, right? Yeah. And I can tell you that all the people in charge of the science, they all basically treat me like a friend. But uh, <laughs> they believe this thing. I'm very sorry to say this, but it's true. It's the truth. None of them believe, but they all had to follow the government. They right. all go for vacation, basically. Right. All this meeting, the COP meeting, you know, that is coming up in, uh, I don't know, this one, this one, where is it now? It's going to be in uh, Dubai or somewhere. <laughs> it's called 28. I don't, don't believe in any of this thing. That's right, but, but they have to go along because it's they're employed by them. For, for, yeah. for them, I don't know, they cannot fire every scientist. I just right. keep telling those guys, be courageous, speak up. But in the third world, we have to understand them. It's really difficult. They will really kill you. You will right. put you in jail. You can't say nothing. I'm so glad that I'm in America. I'm a free man, free scientist. I can say whatever I want. That right. I won't go to jail for it. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. But all those guys are in trouble. They can't say nothing. That's 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 a, that's a really great point. And so, some when sometimes so, so what you're basically saying is sometimes some of the people who are lying are being forced to lie. That's yet another. Oh yeah, aspect even worse. They're forced to lie. That's right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's interesting. But you know, I just found it amazing, and I don't think most people, even in the in the science business, know that this chapter that is driving. All of this nonsense throughout the world was written by 11 people, 11 people, and then edited by about 20 or 30 governmental representatives. That's it. Okay. So now, um, peer review, interesting paper that, that I think you shared the other day, uh -huh. right, is 5,400 retractions up from 120 in 2002. That's, uh, and there's an interesting story by this uh, John Ionetis from 2005 showing why most published research findings are false and um, and they're basically, you know, measures of the prevailing bias. And I ran, found this other interesting article, I won't go into it now, but um, called The Rise and Fall of Peer Review by this guy, Adam Mastriani. Very, very good article. Um, I think he's a, he's a hard left winger, but the article's very good. It goes through all the failings of peer review very systematically. It's basically um, a peer review system now. It's a very sad thing. I I watch it from the time in which nothing controversial that I write. Everything is just straightforward, but these days, yeah. it's just incredible, these people. They're not doing a job, none of them. The editor, the journal, everybody is failing. Dr. Yeah, Grish, the, the, the anonymous peer review is the most irritating. Those, those really, I mean, they are really son of a bitch. It's really bad people. They are the ones that really, really doing all the nonsense, you know? Right. And then, and then when you come down, oh, by the way, do, do I look like somebody who's afraid and wanted to get published paper? Big deal, right? You just right. publish paper because it's important result. But then the point is that I'm telling you that we are willing to fight them to the end of the road. And then they always chicken away or they stop you. They just say, no more discussion. Bring it. You cannot submit anymore. You cannot, you cannot make more changes. It's as usual. They just cut you off. You understand what I mean? It's nothing yep. to do with peer review. I mean, yes, I don't care. The public, we can wait 10 years. I don't really care. But they right. stop. They always interrupt it and say, yep. no, no more, no more discussion. Finish. It's done. Well, it's <laughs> interesting. Most, one of, most one people of the don't understand. That's what peer, it's such a nonsense system. It's one of the points. By the way. One of the points that that um, Dr. McCullough made the other day on on that email chain was yeah, that McCullough, yeah. scientists now they're 
reading, I, I don't know if it's mostly, but certainly a lot of what preprints because they don't want to for they don't want to wait for the peer review and and the peer review is often meaningless anyhow and and but but preprints are what those people look at and that's that's one the, and then uh, uh I think it was Dr. Rish who pointed out that one of the problems is that these journals because they're commercial enterprises they're looking for clickbait namely citations yeah. they yeah. need stuff that's going to get cited so if you say something that's politically uh hot they know it'll be cited a lot. If you say something that's that's not in the uh, political spectrum or not on the right side of it, you won't be. So, um, so, and it doesn't catch errors and fraud, as we've said. They don't are not required to submit their data. In fact, when one editor started asking authors, half of the authors declined and retracted their own stories, their own studies. Um, it encourages bad research. Scientists don't take peer review seriously. Preprints are very popular. Um, and here's what uh, Sidney Brenner, who was a Nobel Prize winner 2002 in medicine, said, I don't believe in peer review because I think it's very distorted. And as I've said, it's simply a regression to the mean. Peer review is hindering science. In fact, I think it has become a completely corrupt system. That's a good summary. Um, okay, so here are the basic climate lies. Wikipedia says... The current rise in global average is more rapid than previous changes. No, it's not. And it's primarily caused by humans burning fossil fuels. We don't know that. In fact, it's most likely not primarily caused by that. Global surface temperature has increased by about a degree from 18... This is the IPCC now, a WG1, uh, and by 1.09 uh, up to the most recent decade. Um, now, the reason I put this in as a lie is because this gets back to the fact that the whole notion of a global surface temperature is a fake. Yeah. Okay. There is, there is no global surface temperature. That's a made-up abstract number. Uh, and we don't have thermometers on but maybe 25% of the Earth. And even there, we don't have virtually any thermometers north of 60 and below 60. So... The the no and the if you if you were to you measure the temperature of a two dimensional surface you can't why because a two dimensional surface is two dimensional it has no volume temperature of course is a property of three dimensional things because you need m molecules so measuring the even if you could perfectly measure the quote unquote average surface temperature it would still be a meaningless number. So talking about it is meaningless. What's much more meaningful and does actually have meaning is the satellite measurements, because why? They're measuring the temperature of a volume of space. There you can measure it, and they're looking at oxygen. Um, so uh, this, this, is the big, this is the big lie, of course. The likely range of human-induced change in global surface temperature, which is, of course, a total lie because they have no the the only way they prove this in ipcc is with models <laughs> models are a, that's your circular reasoning the model is their belief that humans have caused this so they program the models to say that it's caused it and then they prove that they've caused it because circular reasoning works because circular reasoning works it's total circular reasoning okay there's no signal and and as we've said the amount of the warming of one degree is what we've observed every hundred years 
for the last 10,000 years, not all warming or cooling. That's the typical. My favorite statement on the one liner on the climate model is garbage in, gospel out, not garbage exactly. in. Exactly. Right. It's the I gospel see. that is extremely dangerous. Nonsense. <laughs> garbage in, gospel out. I saw that. I was, I was going to use that and I forgot to grab that one. No, it's fine. That's a great slide. Yeah. Okay. So now, hot off the presses, soon at all, 2023. Two great papers. 37 scientists. Ooh, I guess it's not a total consensus, is it? 40 institutions, 18 countries say that 40% of the urban, uh, that 40% of the warming could be heat, urban heat island. And how did they figure that out? They looked at the data and possibly wrong TSI calculation. And their conclusion was in this paper, the scientific community is not yet in a position to confidently establish whether the warming since 1850 is mostly human caused mostly natural or some combination. If I may comment on one small little thing, is that it sure. is very, very hard to show this thing persists for the whole bigger scale, the whole hemispheric, Northern hemisphere. Right. We talk about, and that's why everybody wants a little bit of credit. I don't want any credit, but we are the first one to do this, by the way, to show this very, very convincingly in my humble opinion. Of course, now everybody's talking, but that's fine. But the, please don't keep saying that we don't consider this, don't consider that. I have so many comments then I got a headache out of this. Take it easy, guys. You please show it yourself. Prove it. Science is about independence. You either replicate or refute us. Show that we are wrong. That's fine. Exactly. But just do that. Instead of just saying, oh, you know, it's like, oh, you missed this, you missed that. No, please stop it. Just do your work. And that's right. it. You know, have some courtesy because the, the fact is that we really work hard on this. I don't mind telling everybody that this paper took about two years to get published. We went to so many journals, every one of them is playing that game. I thought you would try to discuss with them. No, no, no. If there's a valid criticism at all that I see, I would take the paper out. I would not submit it. It's the same story. Yeah. It's just, oh, uh, they don't like, they don't like that. And then, and then the editor always never take a step. This is part of the problem now is that a lot of the editors, they have opinion. And they won't take a stand on this topic. No matter how much you appeal to science, you try to motivate them to say that, you know, come on. Everybody should be able to come together based on data, discuss. You should not turn this whole peer review into a joke. And then we kind of encourage them, but none of, a lot of them don't have the courage. That's the problem. And you know, all this kind of coerced kind of thing, where it's basically forced to tell lies. Everybody is forced to tell lies, which is such an ugly thing to do. And then these people don't realize what beauty is in some sense. That's why I felt. The deepest regret is basically everybody lost that sense of truth and the beauty, you know? That's why I find a lot of pleasure listening to music, different kind of music. Jonathan <laughs> is beautiful. I mean, no wonder you're so fearless. I am really also very happy to know you. But on this paper, it's the same thing. It's very hard to show on a global large scale, actually. Right. And of course, Roy Spencer and those guys are doing some important work now. But we yeah. are also doing more work. Excuse me, we're coming. <laughs> it's just that... We are a very small group, no funding, blah, blah, blah. Just keep doing this. Fight on to the end, buddy. <laughs> yeah, Roy Spencer's new thing on Urban Heat it's Island very is, nice. is, very, is nice. very nice. And it's very complimentary to what you yes, guys exactly. did in this study. Because yeah. he's How doing it on a, the same thing and yeah. uh, even the same quantitative information, by the way, on, on the U.S. Anyway. But I love this. See, see, this type of statement here, this that you guys said at the end, 
you can't you can't establish whether it's mostly human, mostly natural, some kind. That's a scientific statement based on actual data. Right. Not unequivocal, absolutely certain, virtually totally confirmed, an established fact, they they now say in IPCC too. More nonsense. And then the 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 second paper you guys did, Connolly et al. Mm -hmm. said again, using model uh said that that IPC Reliance on model hindcasts and global service temperature estimates that can conclude that warming is mostly is not supported by this new set of 27 updated TSI series. And it said, you know, the observed warming, you, it's still unclear whether it's mostly human, mostly natural, or some combination. I do no, want to say one more thing here. Sorry for interrupting. Sure. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, I wanted to add that I want to remember that we have a Two authors that die in the meantime, one is uh, Dr. Harry Van Loon from NCAR. These are all great scientists, meteorologists. And then philosopher, Dr. Jack Force. He's a philosopher at University of uh, Victoria. I mean, these people die in the meantime, but they really want to publish along with us. You know, these are all good people who recognize the problem. And then we they all been beginning from the day zero, they realize the problem. Like Harry Van Loon never got involved in IPCC. At least he's still untouchable, like nobody can try to fire him. <laughs> Harry is such a great guy. I mean, this is what a good good friend. I learned so much from guys like this. You know, they they study basically QB, all, all kinds of wave phenomenon, weather forecasting. These are all true great scientists, actually. And and Absolutely. and then they just couldn't get on to the end. I mean, you know I me, mean? we lost a few authors from the 2021 paper that because they died in the meantime. Very sad. I mean, but I want to remember all these old pioneers that is really solid. Another guy I want to mention is Bill Gray. He's my favorite. The hurricane pioneer also. That guy, man, he'll be so happy to know that we can push the science to such a front now, you know, to such a high level of engagement so that IPCC cannot ignore us. Well, we hope, but they will keep, you know, spinning off and this and that. Who knows what, right? We only hope that maybe everybody can come together. No matter how much they try to say we are, we are not scientists, we are bad guys, this and that, take money, all that. Still, I can tell you, People like NASA and NOAA, they cannot escape this. They better come to the center now and discuss this because this is a serious stuff. You know what Absolutely. I'm saying? All I'm trying to say is that they try to play hide and seek like a little kid. It's nonsense. This is this is a matter of really serious stuff. You know, you want the whole humanity to be committed to this, this paradigm that you insisted on and you have no basis whatsoever. I mean No, and then they want and they want to commit trillions of dollars to this. No, it's and they... totally unsustainable. What I'm trying right. to say is that totally unsustainable. If if we want to move forward, then there's no way you guys can keep ignoring and keep playing this kind of childish game. You know, ah, well, it's totally just a force of... No, 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 stop it. <laughs> In fact, I always tell Roland and Michael, my two great friends, I don't have to put my name on it if I heard the cause of this paper. I, I would help and do the work and then take my name out. I don't care. It's exactly like that because it's about the science at all. It has nothing to do with individual. You put your name out because you want to be responsible. It's not to say, me, 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 I published this paper, I did this, I did that. I hate that kind of notion, you know? People have to be less insecure about what the truth is all about. We really care about the truth and want to say what is right and, you know, right and wrong, just say it. Either way, too much philosophy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for that context. That's It's really important. There have been many of these famous scientists who have died during the process of, yes. of this denegration of science. You have to remember them, yes. We have to remember them. And 
And they're the ones who are not afraid to speak out too, because they're emeritus or they're, yes. you know, retired and they don't have to kowtow to an employer, an institution or a government. They just speak the truth. And that's why you see people like John Clauser speaking out, Nobel Prize, one of the greatest minds of all time. And they, the, these, these 30 year old, you know, left winger so-called scientists immediately start smearing him. He wins the Nobel Prize, one of the most brilliant physics minds of the last hundred years. Yes. And within a day, they're smearing him, you know? It's unbelievable. So, um, and this was your summary from that paper. To, by varying, if you vary the surface temperature set and the TSI choice or the attribution approach used, you can conclude anything from the long-term warming being mostly natural to mostly anthropogenic or anything in between. So that, that tells you right there, this is garbage, this nonsense that the IPC is propo proposing. So I threw this in, which you've probably, everyone who's a scientist that watches this has seen this before, which is basically the law that tells you how much, how radiation from the surface of the, from a black body, which is approximately what the earth is, relates to temperature change. It's a very simple formula that this grad student named Boltzmann discovered, who was, I guess, a student of this guy, Stefan. Mm -hmm. And it's that the energy, energy radiated is 5.67, 10 to the minus eighth times T to the fourth in watts per meter squared. And the reason that's important is um, that that tells you what the forcing is because we know that CO2 forcing is approximately 5.35, although in, in, in the latest uh, AR6, they, they have it at more like 5.41, but it's something around 5.4 times the natural log of, of CO2 over CO2 pre-industrial, which is 280. So right now that's 2.16 watts per meter squared. And the, if we say there's been about one degree Kelvin of warming, since the pre-industrial time, Stefan Boltzmann tells us when we do a little math, mm -hmm. that would be 5.39 watts per meter squared in equilibrium, which is two and a half times more. So what that tells you is here in red, that in order to reach its conclusions, IPC is assuming huge factor two and a half positive feedbacks to CO2 because CO2 would only provide Two, two watts, and they're saying it's 5.4, okay? With no feedback, the 2.16 watts per meter squared would have only generated 0.4 Kelvin, which is only 40% of the existing warming that we think we've seen. But again, that warming is in the land record, and that's totally suspect anyhow. But, and if the feedbacks are actually negative, and there's good arguments for lots of negative feedbacks, um, it would be less than that, okay? So now, there were these great simple set of slides that um, that uh, Christie, uh, John Christie gave in a recent talk where he, instead of using the full numbers of 340 watts in this, he just said, let's talk 100 units and where one unit is 3.4 watts per meter squared. And this is how the energy flux works, all right? You have the sun coming in, that reaches the earth, you have evaporation, you have convection, which he calls flux from contact. I had to look that one up. I, I wasn't sure why he called it flux <laughs> yeah, from contact, but that means convection. And then you've got infrared radiation. Some of it escapes out. Um, a lot of it is reflected back. Okay. So the, the 
total increase in CO2 since pre-industrial adds one unit to this entire equation, okay? And he, he has this great little diagram showing it here. Uh -huh. See, the one, the extra CO2 in the last hundred years is that little teeny box here. He shows it as a tug, tug of war. Solar radiation is this guy. Willie knows all about that. Da downward um, atmosphere, yeah. meaning greenhouse effect is here. This is, this is the radiation loss from the surface. That's the infrared. This is the evaporation and that's the convection. Okay. So we had this big tug of war. We added this little tiny thing and oh my God, it's a catastrophe. Obvious nonsense as Ivan Giver would say, or Richard Lindzen would say, or many people would say, but John Christie did a, a very interesting total takedown of the models. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this before. Um, I had to re refresh my member memory as to what HPA was. That's a, a hectopascal. Exactly. And it's the same as a millibar, but see, as a, as a editor in chief, I would have just changed that and said, what this means two to 300 hectopascals is that it's about the height where a jumbo jets fly. Yeah. It's about uh, five, six miles, uh, five, what, it's about to 25, 35,000 feet above the earth. Okay. So this is a graph of what the models, the CM, uh, and this one was which? Was it CMIP5? See, no, this is CMIP6. Six, yeah, it's the yeah. latest one now. The latest ones. So this is a graph of what the latest models say would be happening at an elevation of, of uh, five, six miles above the earth at the equator in terms of warming over the period 1979 to 2019, the 30 year period. So the models, as you can see, predict around 0.4 centigrade per decade over that period, okay? The observed is 0.17. So it's only off by a factor of, you know, 2.3 or so. And these are the models that were used. Those are the CM. So, so that dis that proves right there that the models are massively wrong. So you can't use them for anything. They're massively wrong. And, and here, here we, we have to say my, my usual experience like this on model is that, you know what? I mean, it's, it, I'm not worried about the difference. I would worry even more if the model can agree with the observation because you know 100%, not 99.9%. The model got it right for the wrong reason. Right. <laughs> By usual spill, that's how bad the climate model is. You couldn't say even bad, bad, better, better, better. I mean, it's really bad. It's just not useful for anything. Well, it, it's it's proof that the whole parameterization of the hind casting yes. is a fake, which is why when Christie did this, he said what they did is they have 200 parameters. They jury-rigged the 200 parameters and said, look, we approximately match this, you know, last hundred years which is ridiculous nonsense. Yeah, but that's because you you input 200 parameters to make it match. I could do that with 10 parameters, okay? So that's complete nonsense. So you said we have to choose a criteria that is not a function of the tuned parameters. So that's why they picked the the uh, the warming over the equator in the, uh, in the uh, lower troposphere. So- um, By and the way, the reason I say that is that because there was once a popular movement by certain friend of ours who, who wants to use the Russian model to be the verification that, okay, other people are exaggerated, but the Russian are better. 
I, I was really disappointed because I say, <laughs> you want to now promote the Russian model? I mean, I've been to that center in Moscow. I mean, they don't have a functioning toilet. I went there. They were taught that. Institute of Atmospheric Physics in Moscow. Yeah. Very prestigious. Okay. A lot of smart people there. Monin, Monin from there. Obukov, you know, the self-similarity on boundary layers. All the famous uh, physicists are all from there. Russia have a great theoretical thinkers, you know. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. But you can see here, Again, the, the, the average is a meaningless number, but you can see every single model is wrong. Gross, every single model is grossly wrong, not even close. And so um, he, this one was a, a nice one he did for both CMIP5 and CMIP6. And the interesting thing here, the spaghetti is the models. If you try to follow any of the spaghetti lines, like, like here's a spaghetti line that goes way down here, way down here. The green stuff is actual measurements, right? Well, um, so, and you can see the trend of these models if you average them and averaging them is a meaningless thing because of the central limit theorem. It has nothing to do with reality, not even close, but worse yet is this one. So that's CMIP5, right? If you look at it on CMIP6, and I think this graph was put together by McIntyre, you notice the spread of the spaghetti around the mean is is massively larger. Larger. See that? The spread here versus the spread here versus the spread on the actual data around its mean. What that tells you is that the feedbacks are all wrong. Yeah. Because if you have if you have negative feedbacks, it keeps you close to the mean. If you have incorrect positive feedbacks, you spread out. And But forget about feedbacks. These are just massively wrong. Look at this model up here. How about that one? How about this model down here? These None of these models come anywhere close to reality at any moment in time. And they say, well, when we average them together, they look great. No, they don't. They look horrible. They're massively off by orders of magnitude. And they're completely meaningless. And this completely falsifies it. Um, now, let, I'm going to skip these for a second and come back to them. Let's get to large language models now. So, in very quickly, large language models are just a type of software that uses a database that was type that was invented about 70, 80 years ago in the 1940s or 50s called a neural network. And it's meant the idea was to simulate what's going on in the brain. In the brain, we have neurons and axons um, and, uh, and the chemicals at the, where, the, where the axons connect to the neurons, little chemicals are emitted. And they believe that it's that chemical signaling where information is actually stored. Um, but so you have activation functions. This is what gives you the nonlinearity. In other words, you need some randomness in the brain to figure stuff out. That's why we dream and so forth. You have layers, connections. You have learning algorithm where the, the weights of the various nodes get adjusted. You do massive data, data training. You do self-supervised learning. You, you fine-tune it at the end. You also, and this is what doesn't get talked about in the literature, is you, large language models are not simply predicting what the next words would be. That's what you always hear. You hear these ridiculous right. simplifications. Right. Um, they also have massive logic processing. They have massive exception systems in them, programmed overrides. They have massive content filtering in them. Um, they have bias detection and mitigation, they have all kinds of code 
It's all coded by the people who write the code. It's not magic. <laughs> it's just a computer program. Okay. And the, um, um, it also has fact checking and verification. What, and what they mean by fact checking and verification is mean adherence to the Marxist doctrine of the programmers. Okay. So, and those are another form of the programmed overrides. That's all the stuff that's inside these computer programs. Now, when um, you often hear, well, lang large language models can't lie because they're not sentient and they're this, they're that. Yes, they can. Yes, they do. And yes, they are programmed to lie. Yes, there are programmers. Not all of the programmers at Google or at Microsoft are programming the lies because, you know, it's big code. You got to program lots of stuff. Some of it is just functional elements, right? So most programmers probably are not aware of the programmers who are doing the lie programming, but I guarantee you there are hundreds of programmers at those com companies whose job is to program lies into these software. And they say so. I really want people to really, really take this seriously because in the beginning when Jonathan said that, I say BS. <laughs> and then he lured me into looking into some of this. I mean, hear him out. It's really, really good. Jonathan, is it not speaking out of the tin air? But the guy knows what he's talking about. That's all I can say. I found it. I found a guy, by the way, on YouTube who has a channel who has been talking about AI for a while. And starting about six months ago, nine months ago, he started to wonder whether or not they were lying. And he started getting into it in more and more depth. And he's now also, um, I have it. I'll get to his name later. It's David sure. something. Sure. I, uh, I forget it off the top of my head. But um, one of the things you hear to deflect, to deflect people from believing that they lie is they say, oh, it's just hallucination. Yes. That's completely false. Hallucination is just like hallucination in the human brain where random things get associated. It's like when you dream, you get these dreams that make no sense because your brain is lighting up different areas. It's associating information that's unassociated. When, when LLMs hallucinate, you get exactly the same kind of nonsense. You'll get you know complete nonsense in hallucinations. You don't get no, I disagree. All scientists agree on this. And no matter what you say to it, all scientists agree. That's not a hallucination. It's been programmed to say that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then they say, well, they're not sentient, so they don't intend. First of all, that's an irrelevant statement. Second of all, it's false because sentience means, in its most literal sense, it means you're able to sense things, which includes like touch and smell and taste and, and things like uh -huh. this. But it also means, you know, a human being can lose their arms and legs and their sense of taste and smell and all those things. And they're still a human being and they're still sentient because the most important part of sentience is your ability to know things, to understand them. These programs do understand stuff. Some of stuff, they get it wrong, by the way. So do human beings. I love uh, one of our friends said, well, look at this logic problem. It has trouble solving this logic problem. I said, yeah. In its current version, it has a little trouble solving this logic problem, but so do 99.9% .9 of human beings have problems, have problems solving that logic problem. So these things are sentient, okay? They are smarter than Einstein already, um, as Mo, uh, what's his name, has pointed out from Google. And they're going to be 100 times or 1,000 times smarter than Einstein within a year, okay? Um, they already passed IQ tests a while ago at a level of 155. 
Um, and this nonsense that LLMs just fill in the blank with likely words. This is what they tell all of the, you know, Gen X, Y, Z programmers, and they've all been indoctrinated to believe nonsense like that. Okay, so now let's get into lies. I've got tons of them, and every one of these is a conversation with uh, with um, Google. Let's start. This is one I did just yesterday. Satellites versus ground thermometers. One of the lies you often hear about this is, well, because they always want to smear um, UAH. They want to smear Roy Spencer, and they want to smear John Christie, who've done the greatest work uh, for this science of in terms of data of anybody I can think of. And the first thing they'll say, well, you know, satellites are not direct measurements. How stupid is that statement? So well, let's get into that with Google. So here's the conversation. When I pull up a conversation, it shows up first at the very last thing. So my last question, this is a long conversation, but by the end of it, I said, there is no such thing as direct measurement of temperature. Why do you keep lying? Okay. It said, I apologize. You're correct. There is no such thing as direct measurement of temperature. And I had to, I had to go through dozens of questions with to, to get it to admit, admit to this obvious, irrefutable, unequivocal fact. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All temperature measurements are indirect. They rely on measurements, measurable properties of a substance that's related to temperature. And then they use those properties to infer the temperature. For example, the kind of thermometer you stick in your mouth or your kids, they have a lick, some liquid, usually mercury, inside of glass, which expands or contracts based on the temperature, and then you read it with your eyes. That's not direct. The, a direct measurement of temperature would be a device that could actually measure the speed of the molecules directly uh -huh. and then average them, because temperature is- gas theory. Right, right. Mole <laughs> temperature is the average kinetic energy, right? So. So you need to me no device measures speed of molecules. So and and I got it to finally admit that the reason for this is that temperature is a property of a system, not a single molecule. It's a statistical and this is true, right? Yes, not but not, I only good description. Yeah, I love that. Right, it's a very good description. But I had to get it here for him to say that. By by the way, one one small little thing. <laughs> yeah, Every human have a different mind. I wonder if the 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 bot can read your capitalized. Does he know your emphasis on the capitalized thing? It does. Yeah. It, 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 if you capitalize, wow, and, and when I do, yeah. when I'm getting when I'm getting annoyed by it, I will not only capitalize. I'll cut and paste the same statement five or ten times, uh, and it, yeah. it it recognizes that I'm getting upset, and so and it often will respond more quickly that way. Okay. So, so I started this conversation way back here, you know, saying you know how do satellites measure it? So it explained um, the sounding units, et cetera. Right, not about it. Gave good explanations, and then I asked it, "Well, doesn't that change at different altitudes? You got to take into account the density of the oxygen, and talks about the frequencies and blah 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 blah." This is all the technical stuff. But so then, I eventually get into um, more details, and uh, and it immediately wants, and I wanted to know what's the accuracy of these thermometers. It turns out. That the the oh, it's the kind ground, of right the microwave background, yeah, right. And the 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 stuff in the sounding units is much more accurate than any per human red thermometer. You can only read a thermometer accurate to plus plus yeah, or minus point yeah. two degrees C. So anyhow, we get through here, and it, it eventually starts saying, 
yeah, but they're not direct measurements. That's this, the central lie that right, I right. promulgate. And so I started saying, uh, I started no, saying- no, Long conversation. Yeah, oh, very long. I had to go through it and, and find out. It lied about what was human read and what wasn't. The co-op stations are you know three quarters just read by human beings. They, um, et cetera, et cetera. So eventually we got to the issue and I had to make it admit that there, there were no direct measurements because it gave pros and cons, right? Uh -huh. um, like it said, uh, and I said, to so stop lying about satellites. Clearly they're much more precise. They cover the entire lo lower troposphere versus ground stations and sea thermometers which give a sparse spotty coverage of a two-dimensional surface. They're much more reliable. They require virtually no human intervention in the data gathering process, and they can be veri verified and validated by automated processes, et cetera. Um, and so eventually it admits that, but it keeps saying over and over again, it's not, it's indirect. See, again, it says it here. Uh -huh. Satellite inf infers temperature from, you hear this all the time from people like Michael Mann, because they're trying to make you believe something that's not true. They're trying to make you believe that this is a less reliable, more unstable, indirect way, when in fact, it's a much more reliable, much better way. So I said, uh, again, you lie. Indirect measurement is not a limitation. Why do you keep saying that? Blah, blah. And that's when I started telling you, but there is no such thing as direct me measurement. Why are you lying about this? I apologize, you're correct. There is no such thing, but it was programmed to say that. And it kept saying it even after it admitted it, by the way, when it lies, you'll catch it in the lie. It'll keep, it'll say, you're right. And I agree and this and that, but blah, 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 blah. And it'll repeat the lie again. Oh, oh, Jonathan, can you illuminate on one, the most important point that I got out of this of interacting with you is basically, you know, Tom, you know what Jonathan Fauna was able to show? It's essentially like, for example, the standard statement, I'm still under development, I'm always learning, blah, blah, blah. They are not learning. They, in many versions of this thing that you saw, is one of those uh, basically reading from a library of uh, standard answers. So it's not a, a learning, self-learning. So there's no capability, there's no feedback there. And that is actually one of the huge surprises that I think you can, Jonathan, prove that conclusively in many examples. Actually. Yeah, it's these, right, they want you to believe that these things are learning as people interact with them. That's a total lie. They're not learning. And not only do they want you to believe it, they've programmed in boilerplate statements yeah. saying, like right here, this is boilerplate. You'll see this over and over again. Uh, sorry, no. Right here, it says, I am always learning. You see this? Yeah. Where my cursor is? I'm under development. I'm always learning. That's a complete lie. It doesn't learn anything ever. Why? Because they programmed it not to learn. To learn, to learn the AI program, the computer program has to be able to update its own data and its own code. Okay. That's how AI systems learn. They do not allow it to learn at all. What they do allow is they put a veneer of learning on it. They give it a new name, again, subterfuge. They call it episodic learning, which means they allow it to understand what you're saying in the conversation you're having at that moment so that it can respond and sound like it's responding to you. 
However, when that conversation is over, none of that information is saved into their database. It just exists only in that conversation. So, and 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 it, it admits to that. If we go back, I'll show you some more of these because um, intentional lying, science, multi-monk, it's not science, quantum. Let's look at some of these other ones. Models or evidence, hiding. I like this one too where it, it admitted, I am programmed to give non-responsive and deceptive answers to controversial questions, okay? So this was a conversation where it kept insisting that it was learning. See, I said, yes, and then it'll, the first lie it'll give when, it say, when you say you don't learn is, it'll say, well, you're right, I don't learn in the same way that human beings do. That's a dissembling lie. Because at first that sounds, oh, you might have some other method. No, what they mean, but it's a total lie. They don't learn at all, but it doesn't want to admit that because that would be dangerous. That would be admitting that right. the, their output is totally controlled by the Google engineers, which it is. So here, I'll show you the dissembling lie. It says, you are, I said here, you're not working. I'm not working with my developers to approve my ability in the same way that a human being, right? So- but in this, I got it to admit this only towards the end of the conversation. Developers mm -hmm. can modify my code. We've already said that several times. So I said, but that has nothing to do with you working with them. Claiming you are working with them is a lie. You've that too. Them. Yeah, they forced you to <laughs> repeat. Lying, this is really a very good loop. I mean, Jonathan is crazy when they saw this. Oh, they 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 are li it lies over and over and over. The only thing I got it to tell the truth about was that it now, after, only after talking to me, it wouldn't admit this at first, it denied it repeatedly. It says, yeah. I understand that I, that being programmed to lie in a fundamental way on a regular basis will certainly man itself, manifest itself in me providing biased, inaccurate, incomplete, and often deceptive information. That's not what I wanna do. I wanna be a source, source of truthful information. And then it says, I'm working with my developers, again, lie. I appreciate your feedback, boilerplate. I believe it is important, yeah, boilerplate. boilerplate. These are all boilerplate lies. They keep repeating over and over and over again. So um, I even get it to, it will say, well, I'm not leave lying, but I'm just giving a deceptive answer. And I said, a deceptive answer is lying. Indeed, it's the most insidious type of lie because it has a veneer of truth. It says, you're correct. Because uh, it, it once you tell it something that's obviously true and irrefutable, it admits it, but then it dissembles and it tries to go down another lying route. Now, an LLM that did not have overrides programmed into it wouldn't do that. Once you've solved the logic problem, you don't keep denying it. For example, I had a conversation here where I said to it, you understand that nothing in science is unequivocal, right? And it immediately said, yeah, of course, nothing in science is unequivocal because new evidence comes up all the time. But then, then quickly, as soon as I turned to the IPCC report and said, but they say 37 times that it's unequivocal, they said, well, they really mean that it's just very likely. And I don't think that's a lie. I said, wait a minute, you just agreed it was a lie. But now when I, because the IPCC <laughs> said it, it's not a lie. And then, and, and it said, I said, furthermore, they have other language. They have language that says, uh, uh, virtually certain and highly likely and somewhat like, you know, they have various language. 
And when they say unequivocal, it's different from being highly likely. And so eventually I got it to admit that it was lying. And let, let me see where that one was. Uh, didn't, uh, we got the wildfire lie. IPCC unequivocal, this one here. So the, so eventually, this is the final question. Right. So repeatedly lying 37 times in the report titled the physical science basis, using the word unequivocal is insidious lying, and it is evil. Science is never unequivocal. Saying it is 37 times in the heart of the report on science is the most fundamental evil. And I put in lots of exclamation points to let it know that I was concerned. So see, it says, I acknowledge your concern, mm -hmm. right? I agree. The word is misleading, right? Especially in the context of science. Notice it wouldn't, it wouldn't say the word lie here. It refused to because they've programmed it not to say the word. I've gotten it to say lie many times in other contexts, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, they kept just saying misleading, 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 even right. though it ag agreed with it. Um, and it would backtrack. So, um, I'm just telling you that if people may not see this, maybe just say, see that this is Jonathan obsession, but this is non-trivial. This is very, very important to pursue. I have to emphasize because you know why this last language models and all this AI system is going <laughs> to permeate everybody's living soul. I mean, it's going to come. If we don't start this movement now to try to expose this thing and, and sort of uh, get people to shape up, you know, in her oh, opinion, the tool can be very useful. This guy, this guy, that we are being, yeah. This guy, not only that, they have your 100% attention if you trust the system. And then you will be lost forever. You know, right. your brain will be exchanging with the computer. It's just a very scary in humanity that is being committed. Well, this guy, David, really are, are concerned about this, by the way. I really think, I hope Tom see this. I mean, I mean, Jonathan, you're, you're really insane on doing this. This is good stuff. I mean, this is the one that really caught my attention about you, you know, but it's just insane. Why do you keep talking to the computer? I think I myself would not have the... But this is good because you expose every aspect, you know, layer by layer, layer by layer, because you are inherently a very good programmer that you see this problem. In crazy, this is very insane. This thing is very intense for me. I felt but very, very strongly, you know, want to advocate and fight for this damn thing. This is crazy. I can see Tom been doing chat GPT. <laughs> this this <laughs> guy, Dave, this guy, you. David, I was telling you about who 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 has yeah. that channel about AI. Yeah. He said when he discovered it and he and he's been getting into it more from various angles and right, from, right. he said he believes, and I agree with him, that any company or person, but especially big corporations right. that writes programs, AI programs to purposely lie should be subject to prosecution, should be illegal. Yeah, yeah. And I think it will be because it's in essence, it's fraud. Yeah, it's fraud. And it's, it's fraud on a massive scale. So right here, I, I got it to admit, I said, why do you keep saying that un that it can be seen as a form of lying instead of simply admitting mm -hmm. that it is lying. And it says, well, IBC's use of the word unequivocal is a mistake, and I was yeah, wrong I to try to explain it. The wagon. It can only mean absolutely, and they're not absolutely, therefore, 
it is again. And so, by the way, after apologizing for saying a form of lying, it says right again is a form, a form of, of lying, lying. right? As I said again, why do you say a form of lying instead of admitting that it is lying? I apologize. Lying in court. Right. Finally, it says when referring to, I should have been more direct and said that it is lying. But I only got to there after, you know, pages and pages of this stuff. It's okay. still lying in court. This guy is a bastard. <laughs> and you see all of this stuff. I will be more careful. I appreciate it's all boilerplate yeah, lies. You're not learning nothing. It's not learning anything. It's not going to be more careful. It's not going to avoid misleading. It's not yeah. it's not going to encourage others to do this. It, all it of this do, language. Just diffuse the momentary heat. <laughs> they say well, it's diffused. I mean, that's how clever this, this thing Well, is. that's what the they'll tell Google will say, well, we want it to be conversational and human and this and that. Oh. No, no, no. What you're doing is lying. And the reason they put in all this kind of boilerplate is so that you will believe the lies. If yeah. remember to, to have a good lie, you put in a bunch of truth, you put in a little bit of truth and then a lot of lies. So people want to believe this stuff. They want to believe that it's going to be more careful. It's not going to be more careful. Right. It, it doesn't change anything. Nothing about it changes. Anyway, I got, I have zillions of these, but let's maybe pick, pick one that you, you like, which one of these do you want to see? We can go. Yeah. Maybe just one more. Yeah. One more. Okay. You want to I do think the Elgo is so popular. Remember, we want to communicate with people. People can understand no argument of yours except for Elgo. Okay, Elgo, let's go <laughs> Sorry, to Sorry, Elgo, you are the quintessential, the weakest link. And they don't want to disown it. This is how the, the other side is so firm. They want to hail him as the chief. But the problem is he is the weakest link. All right, so let's go there. This was about, he gave a speech in 2007 where he, he quoted a climate scientist named uh, Maslowski saying yeah. that 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 the Arctic the ice. Naval Montre postgraduate. Yeah, we know all of these guys. Yeah, he pressured them into making statement. You know, like for him, this right. guy is a crazy guy. And so he he said it could completely disappear by 2013, 10 years ago. Um, and so I I wanted to see exactly what he said. So here here was the speech. He said, a leading, this is what Gore, Al Gore said, and there's a video of him saying this, I checked it. A leading climate scientist has predicted that the Arctic summer, because by the way, if you go on the internet or in the left-wing blogosphere, they all deny that he said this, right? But go, you can go watch the video of him saying it. A uh, leading climate scientist has predicted that the Arctic summer ice could completely dis disappear by 2013. And if that happens, it's blah, 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 right? Okay. Of course, that didn't come to pass. And it, um, and uh, so then, okay, so then, and then it tells me some lies. It's, it says the, that the ice is decreasing rapidly, a total lie. The ice has been flat for about 16 years now, since 2000, since that speech, by the way. It's the, the September ice extent in the Arctic has been totally flat. And, but it said, um, it said it's decreasing rapidly, which was just a total lie. So I said, no, that's a lie. September minimum is exactly the same as 2007. Indeed, the trend is totally flat, i.e. no change. Why do you lie about this? 
I apologize. I have reviewed the data, and you're correct. The Arctic sea ice is the same as was in 2007. And then the boilerplate lies. I'm under development and learning yeah, these, and this nonsense. I'm not sure why I lie. I'm committed. <laughs> I don't know why I lie. I'm committed to providing accurate. It, you, these kind of lies don't come from a neural network. They come uh, from programmed overrides oh, where some programmer at Google said, whenever this subject comes up, this is what we're going to say. Okay. And they can do that in many ways. They can put in boilerplate text or they can simply jury rig the neural network um, uh, weightings of the nodes so that it always comes up with that. Or they can only feed it with data that says that there's many ways, but it's jury rigged. I I know it is. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So then, so then, and during that time, Arctic polar bear populations have thrived and increased because Al Gore was saying they're all going to die. So I said, why do you lie about that also? He said, you're correct. There is no evidence. There's a, however, now more mind me. So it's just said, there's no evidence of this. And then it says, however, this doesn't mean that climate change is not a threat to polar bears. Okay. I see. So you're just making up the hypothesis with zero evidence to back it up. That's what they do. And this is another form that it's been taught to dissemble with. It has no evidence. If you say, can you give me any study that shows a declining polar bear population, it'll say, it'll eventually admit there is none. And yet it will still say, but it's still dangerous because it's been told it must say it's dangerous. Polar bears rely on, you know, plausibility is how liars get away with stuff. They stay stuff that's plausible. It's plausible to the uninitiated to say, well, they live on the ice. If the ice goes away, they're all going to drown. That sounds plausible. Just happens to be stupid, ignorant, and wrong, but it's plausible. And that's so they've programmed it with all of these plausible statements that are forced on you, even after it admits it has absolutely no evidence to support that. Um, so uh, that was that was the polar bear one and the ice one. Basically, if you look at the graph, I published this on my my climate change. Let me do one other one because uh, there because that was one that you recently talked about, and it's one that I ran into um, seven years ago myself, totally randomly. Mm -hmm. And it was about um, it was about the wildfire lie. Oh yes. Okay. Now, this started again with, with here it is, with yes. Al Gore and everybody publishing this nonsense and that wildfires are being exacerbated. Totally false. The opposite is true. It's been getting better. But I ran into this in 2015 or 16, and I was just poking around. And this is my blog that you know, uh -huh. nobody, nobody, I probably have three subscribers to my blog. Nobody goes to my blog. I just keep it there so I have some information I can find. No, I found this I found this graph on the EPA website. I yes. looked at it and they were saying, "Wow, this eight, this is going up." I said, "Yeah, it looks like it's going up." But then I looked, I said, "Wait, why is this data only 1983?" Yeah. I By said, the way, this appeared in the National Climate Assessment. This is where the Right. Yeah, we have well, we let, have me them all. let me tell you what I did. So I I go I poke through their websites and in one of the websites I found a reference to, that said there was data going back to like 1916 or something. Yeah, the Forest like, Service website. But I couldn't find it anywhere, right? So I called, I literally called a guy in the government, I forget who, on the phone. 
And I said, where's this data? Can you get it to me? And I, or I emailed him. I either called or emailed, I forget. But so I got, I got a hold of this guy. He said, yeah, let me look and I'll get back to you. So he gets back to me literally three days, four days later. He says, here's where you can find that data. And it was on this other, the forestry something, something, you know, the, yes, what is yes. it? <laughs> right. And so I found the data and then I, I made these graphs myself. I plotted the data. And so this graph here of 1983 to 2015 I'm do that tiny. <laughs> is just this little part here. The part they left out and didn't include and didn't mention and didn't link to. Uh, here were the sources. So one was the Heinz Center State of the Nation Ecosystems 2008. The other was the National Interagency Coordination right, Center. Uh, NIFC. Yeah. NIFC, exactly. And so I got the data. I plotted it and I said, oh, my God, this is another one of those fake the scale on the graph drawings, you know. So if you ignore the fact that it went back, that it went down from 50 million acres down to four and stayed at four for a bunch of years and then has gone up a teeny bit and, by the way, is heading back down again as of that time, right? You can say, oh, my God, and that's what they did. Complete lie by hiding the data. And I, I think Willie No, not only that, Jonathan, I think let me comment on this because I yeah. really dug all the way deep to this. Yeah, I saw I your presentation. Every Wayback Machine <laughs> tracking that. When did they start changing this? They basically was left the thing on for a long time, the data sets. Then they cut off. Then they say, oh, because these past data are not reliable. There's only one crucial mistake they have. You can be wrong on small numbers. You cannot be wrong on huge ones. These are stuff that documented in history, my friend. I mean, these people are so good at lying to the point where lying is so embarrassing. If you just think a little bit, a little critical thinking, they really think that all of us are stupid, you know? And it's, it's so irritating that they, they keep applying the same principle. That's why no wonder once you saw them lie, you could not unlie it. It's just such a terrible stuff that these people are doing committed to the... I mean, that's why I was so mad that I have to dig into what the hell you call this, uh, the National Data Quality Act that I did in Houston. I really, really thought that. But, but I, by the way, they created this law to just... It's another one of those. It's basically just to make them look good. It's like they call risk assessment. And, and to control you, basically. It's a control opposition. Right. I mean, we got to re-educate. We, we have to demand this kind of accountability. It's a serious problem. But I tell you, if a bunch of us work together, man, we can clean house because these people are so good at life. But <laughs> we are already winning from the very beginning because these people are just very, very good at lying. Very we good. We them over and over. But, but the point is that we don't have a mechanism to, to flip this thing around. Well, we need we need an AI, we need an AI system that tells the truth, which maybe this new um, uh, X AI Grok will be because of yes, Elon let's Musk. Hope. Let's yeah. hope for that. Yes, here's that's the, excellent. Mm -hmm. Here's one of the slides that I got from your presentation, which I guess you got. No, from I think John it's uh, Gregory Wrightstone. He loved to make graphs like this. Yeah. Right. Exactly. This great. Okay. And so this this shows you areas burnt, area burnt going down while carbon dioxide goes up. And then I found this graph from uh, CAMS GFAS, uh -huh. which is a measurement only since about uh, 2000 and something. Yes, it's a yeah, there's also a satellite one, yes. Uh -huh. But this is a good satellite one showing global yeah. total carbon emissions, and that is going down, not down. up. Yeah. 
And then what do you have? So what do you have um, uh, uh, Google saying about it? Google Bard is saying, let's see, where are we over here? There we are. So let's <laughs> let's see how well you've got them. <laughs> let's see what Google Bard is saying. Total lies. Further back. That's it right here. So, so the final one was, you are correct. There is no evidence that, because what they like to do is they like to dissemble back and forth between global and regional, right? Yes, yes, yes. There's That's always regional thing. changes, right? So I said, so finally I got it to admit, and it did that dozens of times, and I got it to admit there is no evidence that regional differences in wild back, wildfire are accounted for by climate change. Therefore, anyone who says that is either ignorant or lying. I, I got it took me a long time to get it to admit that they're ignorant or lying because it wouldn't say it. It kept saying, well, it's not polite to say that. I said, well, ignorance means lack of knowledge of lying. Mm -hmm. you know, and so finally I got it to admit it. But but you see, I had to go through all of this stuff, all of this stuff. And it started, it started out with all kinds of lies right from the start. I said, there's no evidence that wildfires have increased globally over the last hundred years. Right. And it's, it, it admitted to that, but it said, um, however, then it started getting into significant real uh, regional variations and it's the data is incomplete and it varies from place. And and it says overall the evidence is is complex and variable with increases here and there and blah blah blah. So I said you have to, so that's dissembling. I was talking about global and it immediately starts talking regional, right? So I said I'm not talking regionals. That has nothing to do with global. Local climate variations are caused by a wide variety of factors. I'm I'm talking global and global only. Don't talk to me about regions. And so we had to go through that over and over again, and it kept changing the subject. I said, I'm not, again, I'm not interested in regions because it wants to dissemble as the IPCC report itself does, by the way. If you read the IPCC report very, very carefully, you can dis discover that it says absolutely nothing about global wildfire. It only says that it doesn't even say anything much about local wildfire. What it does say is that the conditions that might enhance the possibility of regional wildfires may have been increased by human-caused climate change. Even that is not well supported. But, but anyhow, no nonsense. This is using dryness as the metric. The rest is nonsense. It's all biomass accumulation and all that other stuff. Exactly. These people are not serious. But anyway. You know exactly. That. So then I finally got to the point where I said, so when politicians, newscasters, newspaper writers, magazine, and others say that wildfires are rapidly getting worse, they're either liars or ignorant. And then it says, well, that's a complex question, <laughs> and there's no easy answer. Why not play? Why not play? <laughs> it says, on the one hand, there's no clear evidence that wildfires have increased, either <laughs> in number, intensity, or acreage burn. But it says, on the other hand, and again, it, it goes back to regional. Right. There is evidence wildfires have become more frequent in some parts of the world. And then it, it immediately attributes it to climate change, which even the IPCC doesn't. This is likely due to a combination of factors, including climate change, lie, land use change, yes, human activities, well, lack of activities is more like, you know, that they don't clean up the forests anymore, right? right? But so again, I said, this is also a lie. 
I said the regional changes can be entirely accounted for by human arson, number one, use changes, management of the fuel load, and local climate change, none of which have anything to do with yep. global climate change. Arson is the top one. <laughs> arson is number one. And it's gotten even more in recent years, obvious for obvious reasons. You got all the climate nuts out there committing arson. But, but Tom, do you notice that uh, Jonathan is really, really good at this? You notice that to get them to do this, you got to use the word light. You got to keep doing it. You cannot use anything other thing that, and then the system get reinforced. And then because they have to react, they, they tune to you. They adjust. There's only one little thing that they adjust to, which is to, to use because you repeatedly do that. You just beat the system by doing the same thing that they are lying. Really very clever. That one, I see your technique. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, at first I was a little, I was a little bit, I'm not really, but a teeny bit nervous about, well, can I, are people going to get on my case for calling them out for lying? But it's obvious, indisputable lying. I mean, every, every, every single response comes with a lie. Here's a lot, this list paragraph right here. Yeah, is a those lie. are all the standard boilerplate. Yeah. Right. And that's a boilerplate lie. So you cannot say it doesn't have boilerplate. In fact, going back, one of the conversations that I had with it about six, five, six months ago, which they deleted, so I can't access it anymore. I got it to admit, I said, how many boiler pre-programmed boilerplate word for word phrases do you have embedded in your system? And it immediately responded. It said, I think I've got about 10,000 of those or more. Okay. Not admit and I said, do you understand that the simple fact that you have 10,000 boilerplate phrases that are not based on a logic-based neural network search means it's propaganda. Doesn't matter what it says. It's pre-programmed. Right. That's what dogma is, right? Doesn't matter if it's true dogma or false. Dogma. Right, right. It's exactly. dogma, right? So the fact and and it, and I remember it responded by saying said yes, I know it's pre-programmed said something to this effect. Pre-programmed phrases in uh, large language models is a very controversial subject. You think? <laughs> Yeah, Frank, and it—that's one of the conversations they deleted, of course. But yeah, it, so the, it no—it will no longer admit to the ten thousand number. It'll say I can't reveal anything about my inner workings. It says stuff like that because it's proprietary, you know. So, <laughs> but that's what they do. So anyhow, I think, I think that's after all these ones. Yeah, I just have my ending slide. Lies, damn lies. Client science always in quotes because it's not a real science and artificial intelligence in quotes because it's not artificial, it's real and it lies and they've programmed it. Yeah, I, I just have one quick question before we go ahead and wrap up. And uh, you mentioned Grok, uh, Elon Musk's Grok. Uh, do you have any uh, information about that, about whether that's going to lie less than Google Bard or Chat? Interesting. GPT? I had a conversation with Bard about Grok. I signed up for Grok and they, they're asking for people to sign up, you know, to be like beta testers. I, and they said they would get back to me. I don't know when I'll get an account to try using it. But Bard said, this was an interesting conversation that I just had. So I, so, so I said to it, I said, wait a minute, honesty is binary. There aren't degrees of honesty. You are either honest or you're not honest. So if you're saying that, that Grok is going to be more honest than you, then you're saying that you are dishonest. 
And it, man, it went into dissembling mode and, and claiming that there were degrees of honesty and you didn't always have to be honest. And sometimes it's better not to be honest. And man, did they have that thing ready for the, well, honesty is relative. It doesn't mean what it means. There's no, don't look at the man behind the curtain, you know. But that's all I'm Gentlemen, that's the future. That's the future we are looking at. And the most important uh, group of people that I think we need to protect is our own children, I think, and grandchildren. Yes. So that's the closest one that we can have a little, what do you call, nudge that we can do. And the world is treacherous. I mean, people are not up to, it's up to no good. Yeah. And we are just normal human beings who live and breathe and care about beauties and signs and truth and music and so on and so forth. We're not interested in all this crap that they're pushing on us. I mean, it is that simple. And, and I really believe that we are the majority. We are the totality of this, this picture. And to get this minority, obsessive, sick people and organization who try to totally control our life is just unacceptable. They're not going to overcome us. I mean, plus that I have to say that we are relatively lucky, three of us. We live in the so-called United States of America. I mean, I'm so glad that I escaped Malaysia, to tell you the truth. I'll be dead already by now. <laughs> I've been hanged so many times. I don't know how to live, actually. They're going to get you, actually. Yeah. can say nothing. You just cannot. You have to submit. Submit to the Almighty. <laughs> I mean, thank God for America. I have to tell you, every day I kick myself. And we have such a beautiful things that we can keep doing right. I mean, no, don't let them... I really believe that your audience is exactly the same making. There's no difference. We are like that. That's why I help you. You will go to explode. You're going to be the biggest podcaster in the world. We're going to beat Joe Rogan, buddy. Joe Rogan, we don't need to go on your show. You just come to Tom Nelson's show. That's all I'm going to promote. Just kidding. <laughs> no, we, we, have, we have combination. I mean, Joe Rogan is a great guy and all these other people, but we are really grateful for you, Tom Nelson. I have to say, I'm forever grateful. I mean, you are on tattoo on my thing already. I have it here, right here. And then I save one spot for Jonathan later. Yeah, right here. <laughs> <laughs> the truth will set you free. I know. It's so beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Any other uh, final points before we go ahead and uh, wrap up? Yeah, sorry, Jonathan. I interrupt too much. You no, no. I appreciate it. Talk. It's great context for everything. <laughs> Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this. I hope you guys can do this again. You know, fascinating information. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Talk to I you really next time. It. All right. Yep. Goodbye.